Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. So good to see you this morning. Wonderful time of worship already. Let's get into the Word. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 through 6 here in just a little bit. It's such a wonderful truth that we are secure in Christ. It's everything about what He did, not what we can do or will do, but everything that He has accomplished on the cross. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and yet we have been challenged that because we have been changed in Christ and we've been given new life, that we ought to live as such. We are challenged to make choices according to who we are now in Christ, and that's what I want to talk about today, and making a choice to live a lifestyle that is honoring to Him, not in order to be saved, and not in order to hold on to our salvation, but just because we are saved, and because we do belong to Christ. I want us to make those choices, to have a lifestyle that is thankful to Him, that is grateful for all that He has done. Life is full of choices. And sometimes even the smallest choices that we make can get us off path, off path, off of, you know, off focus of where our focus ought to be. And then we start living for self and we start living for the world. And then we wonder, after a while, we wonder, how in the world did I get here? You know what? It started with some choices. And those choices got us there. Think of the biblical character, I mean, he's real, but you know, the biblical person of Lot. You know, Lot is called a righteous man in the Bible. So boy, did he make some choices. There were some, there were some losers, all right, man. There were some awful choices. I mean, you know, his choices, even though he was a righteous man, he, he made a mess of his life and his, his family was quite dysfunctional to say the least. You think about, okay, when his, his servants were arguing with Abraham's servants about where, you know, the grazing land, we want this grazing land, no, we do it. And so Abraham didn't want to fight it and he said, Lot, you, you have a choice, where do you want to go graze? And Lot made the choice, I want the most bountiful land that there is, and it brought him right to the doorstep of the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then Lot decided that merely living on the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't enough, so he moved into the city. Him and his family moved into the city. But you know, just being a mere citizen in that city wasn't enough. And so he, he took on a little bit more influential roles, leadership roles, and, and things like that. And he really steeped himself and his family in the culture and the mindset of Sodom and Gomorrah. He allowed Sodom, by his choices, he allowed Sodom and Gomorrah to get here and here. Well, we know the story that that those places were so wicked, God is going to destroy them. But God, in his graciousness for Lot, sent two angels to get them out of there so they would not be destroyed when the judgment came. The citizens of the city wanted to use and abuse the angels. And, I mean, Lot at least had some hospitality. He had that going for him, at least. But, 
you know, the citizens came practically knocking down the door, trying to get to these angels, thinking they're mere men. And so Lot chooses to offer them his two daughters in that in their place. By any stretch of the imagination, that's just messed up. But it started with the choices way back then. Lot was so ingrained by the culture. He was so ingrained by the culture, he didn't want to leave. He was keep going. He gave them angels a hard time, trying to give excuse after excuse, trying to stick around. He got used to the lifestyle. They finally got out. But Lot's wife chose to look back to the cities, probably yearning for the luxuries that they had. She was turned to a pillar of salt, another choice. Lot and his daughters escaped to a cave where the daughters made a choice to get Lot drunk and do things that no one should do, all because the culture was ingrained in their hearts, and the culture was ingrained in their hearts because of the choices that they had made. Their choices led to all sorts of problems and dysfunctions. And there are choices before us today. We have a choice. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to obey God? Will we align ourselves with the purposes of God? Will we align ourselves with the Word of God? Or, I mean, or will we go with the flow of the culture? This culture that is opposed to God? Will we celebrate what the culture celebrates, no matter how wicked it is in the eyes of God, or will we mourn with God over the sin of this world? We have choices in which direction our life will go. Peter, you know, this, this whole book is, he writes about the fact that we're mere pilgrims. This, this world is just a temporary layover. We're here for a short time. But we've been given this new life in Jesus Christ, one of eternal value. And, and, and he, he's telling us, are we going to choose to live in light of the fact that we're mere pilgrims? Are we going to choose in light of the fact that, that we have a new life in Christ? That's our choice. And what Peter tells us specifically in the passage I'm reading is that Christian pilgrims are called to choose a life of holiness even if it leads to temporary sufferings and hostility on this earth. Are we going to live for Christ even when the world is opposed to us, even when the culture is opposed to us? Will we choose to live in light of who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, or will we cave to the pressures of living like the rest of the world? And therein is our choice. And so I want to read verses 1 through 6, and you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's own words. I read these six verses. This is what Peter writes. So since Christ is suffered in the flesh, you also arm yourselves with the same attitude because the one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, and that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. For the time that has passed was sufficient for you to do what the non-Christians desire. You lived, back then, in debauchery, evil desires, drunkenness, carousing, drinking bouts, and lots of idolatries. 
So now they are astonished when you do not rush with them in the same flood of wickedness, and they vilify you. They will face a reckoning before Jesus Christ, who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now it was for this very purpose that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead, so that though they were judged in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually by God's standards. Let's pray. For God in heaven, by the power of your Holy Spirit living within us, fill us and guide us. And Lord, may we make choices that are pleasing to you so that our lives are a reflection of who we are now in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So let's take some time today answering the question, what lifestyle choices can we make that reflect and encourage holiness in our, with our new life in Christ? What, what, what lifestyle choices can we make that reflect and encourage our, the holiness that we have in this new life in Christ? Well, number one, I want us to, to choose the priority of God's will. Choose the priority of God's will. Look at your Bible and look at verses 1 and 2 again. Peter writes, since Christ suffered in the flesh, you also arm yourself with the same attitude. Because the one who has suffered in the flesh is finished with sin, that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human <coughs> desires. And so, to bring in the passage that had just previously happened there in chapter 3, right before this one, Peter was telling us how to live in the midst of the world's hostilities and the suffering that might come with it. He now tells us, consider the suffering of Christ. Think about the suffering of Christ. And when Peter talks about his suffering, it includes his death. He's talking about all the events that led to and included his death. And Peter emphasizes what we might call Christ's thought process that led him to the cross. And he says, arm yourself with that same attitude. Arm yourselves like a soldier who <coughs> What drove Christ to the cross, his mindset, take that mindset and put it on you as well, like armor. Consider what Christ did, because Christ determined that he would do the will of God. He battled that out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if, if you know, Lord, if, if this cup can pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. You know, Jesus, I suppose, just, just for imagination's sake, I suppose, he could have played the game that the religious leaders wanted him to play. Jesus could have, you know, just kept his mouth shut and let people live for themselves worldly, worldly pleasures. He, he didn't have to confront the world with the truth and the gospel. And if he did that, the world just would have left him alone. Of course, if Christ did not go to the cross, the world would be lost. We would all be stuck in our sin. But what, what does Jesus say when we read the Gospels? What does he constantly and consistently say? I am here to do the will of my Father. And there was nothing that was going to prevent him from doing the will of the Father. And just as Jesus was committed to doing the will of the Father, Peter says in verse 2 that we are to spend the rest of our time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. Our top priority is what God wants. 
The choices that God wants us to make. Not what we want, not what this world wants, what God wants, what is it that God wills? Yeah, but I want to know. Cut it off right there. What does God want? What is His will? Arm yourself with the same attitude as Christ. Because Christ prioritized His Father's will in His life. He chose to follow it. It led to his suffering. Yes, it led to suffering. It led to his death. Nevertheless, he lived for God. He obeyed his father. He fulfilled what God had sent him for, which led to salvation for all who believe. The Bible talks about the fact that then Christ received his reward. He received his inheritance. And we are the reward. We are the inheritance. Christ obeyed the will of God. He received his reward. We are called, we are given the choice, but we are called to follow God's will for us as it's laid out for us in, in Scripture. And if we do so, we will receive blessings later. You know, we're not going to say on, on this earth, okay, just follow God's will and God will give you that car you want. God will give you that house you want. No, but you will be blessed in eternity. And so we make the choice to prioritize God's will now, even though on this earth it's going to leave the on the road. Even, you know, when we choose to do God's will in God's way, it might even lead to our death. But we do this knowing that we're doing it for eternity. And we are doing it to honor Him. So if it is knowing that doing God's will might cause some opposition, might cause some suffering, will we choose to do it anyway? Or will your will, your comfort, take precedence? You can choose to do your own thing, but then, like Lot, you suffer the consequences for your choices. You sacrifice the joy and peace and hope of being right in the middle of God's will for your life. I don't know how many times I have seen so many people make so many bad choices. They live selfishly. They choose to live for the world. I'm talking Christians. They live for the world. They live for self. And they're miserable. And I can't figure out why. Your choices. But now... I've seen people follow the will of God and they suffer for it. But down the road, God blesses their obedience. The blessing might not even come until their death and their glory with Christ. But in the long run, nobody ever regrets following God's will for their lives. Nobody ever regrets. Nobody ever comes to the end of their life and be on their deathbed and be like, oh, I wish I hadn't followed God's will in my life. No one has ever said that, but how many people have said, oh, I regret not following God's will for my life. And yet people still say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my thing. They might try and sugarcoat it with religious talk, but you know what? They're going to they're gonna do their own thing anyway. I read this story about this old Scottish woman who 
you know, from long ago in Scotland, go from house to house across the countryside of Scotland selling threads and buttons and shoestrings and whatever they did back in that day. And whenever she was going through a village and she came to an unmarked crossroad, not knowing which way to go, what she would do is she would have a stick and she would flip it in the air in whichever direction the stick pointed. Well, that's the way she was going to go. Well, one day she was in a particular village and she was seen tossing the stick up in the air it falling on the ground, she grabbed it again, and she kept picking it up and tossing it up and down. So someone came up to her and said, why in the world are you throwing that stick more than once? We know what you do, we know what the stick is about. Why are you throwing it up more than once? And the woman replied, because this stick keeps pointing left, but I want to take the road to the right. And she kept throwing that stick until that stick pointed to the right. So it pointed to the way that she wanted to go. And I wonder how many of us pay lip service to doing the will of God, but when it comes down to it, we want to do what we want to do anyway. We just want God to bless what it is that we want to do. Well, Lord, I don't really want to do your will, but I want you to do is I want you to bless what I want to do. That's not how it works. So many people, name in the name of Christ, they read their Bible saying they want to follow the will of God, but then when it comes down to it, well, yeah, I, I don't really care what the Bible says, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. You know, some do that because they want to follow the crowd, some do it because they don't want to face the opposition that might come from actually doing God's will, some do it because they don't know God. But if we want to honor God, we have a choice to spend the rest of our time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. So what's the choice you're going to make? But there's another choice we consider today. Choose the practice of rejecting past sin. Choose the practice of rejecting past sin. Look at your Bibles. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. For the time is past. The time that has passed was sufficient for you to do with a non-Christian desire, you live with debauchery, evil desires, drunkenness, carousing, drinking bouts, and wanton idolatries. So they are astonished when you do not rush with them in the same flood of wickedness, and they vilify you. So Peter is telling his readers, knowing their past, you know, you're in Christ now. Living like you used to do, it's long, it's long past the time for you to be living like an unbeliever. The time for living for self, the time for living for the world, it's long past. Like ever since you came to Christ. They used to live that way before they knew Christ, but they're not supposed to live that way anymore. Reject what you've done in the past. He goes on with this list of vices that, I mean, it was very common in the pagan world of the Roman Empire. Anybody else notice? Things don't change much in 2,000 years, do they? But this was the typical way that a Roman citizen would live back in that day. Lots of drunken, sexually charged parties that appealed to the flesh and served as the idols of their lifestyle on top of the literal idols that they worshipped. I mean, they worshipped literal idols, but then they lived in idolatry to their flesh. And so Peter recognizes in the, within the churches there are these people who came out of that lifestyle. They used to be immoral pagans, lived for the world, lived for the flesh. And, and, and those things can, can really sink into you. And, and though you are no longer immoral pagans, you have a new life in Christ, you're saved under that old life. The old is past, the new is come. But still, 
habits die hard, I guess might be the phrase that could be used. You still have the sin principle within you. You're still in this sinful flesh. You weren't taken out of this sinful flesh. And so it would be easy to be dragged back into what you used to do. And Peter's saying, yeah, but that time has long passed. You do not have to. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You do not have to live like you used to do back then. You can live new in Christ, but it's, it's pulling at you. But you have a choice not to actually give in. And we have that same choice. We may or may not have been saved from the same kind of vices that are listed here, but we all, before Christ, had a tendency. And those tendencies will pull at you. And Peter's saying, look, it's time to put that in the past. Reject that, those past sins. Live, choose to live in holiness now. Reject those past sins. Live in holiness now. And Peter says that the change in lifestyle, when you live like that, the change in lifestyle is so radical. The people you used to hang out with, the people you used to go partying with, the people you used to go clubbing with, or whatever it is you used to do, they can't figure it out. Why, does, why doesn't he go out with us anymore? Why doesn't she go out with us anymore? Because I've been made new. And we have a choice. I mean, the, the old friends and the old ways could pull at us. But we don't have to run and jump into that same flood of wickedness, as he says, that these pagans still pursue. There's many people, after they've been saved and they, they're gloriously saved and their life has changed, you lose friends. Because your lifestyles are so polar opposite. And you know what? It's okay and be grateful to be able to witness to them, but you know what? If they're going to drag you down, if they're going to bring you back into the mud of sin, it's okay. To be sober, but you know what? They, 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 it says they reject us. It says that they vilify us. Because we don't look like that anymore. That's okay. You know what? The world rejected Christ too. So we're in pretty good company. And Jesus told us in Luke 6, uh, 22 and 23, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject you as evil and come to some man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy because your reward is greater than heaven for your ancestors did the same things to the prophets. They did the same exact things. I mean, it's nothing new. And, you know, that's on an individual level, but, you know, we can think of it also as, as on a group level, like the level of the church. Because the culture rejects the church because the church won't live according to the standards of the culture. The culture says, I mean, this is the way things are, why are you not following in these ways? In, in, in Peter's day, living in the way that is described here in verse 3, I mean, that was the societal standard. That was kind of the societal expectation. Look, you're in Rome. You're part of the Roman Empire. This is the way you live. <coughs> live for the parties and immorality and, and, and things like that. And if you don't live like that, you're a reject. And so they would marginalize anyone who would not 
follow their ways. They were marginalized. They would, they would kind of put all, like center their anger on those people who did not live like they did. When they found out the Christians were not living that lifestyle, I mean, that's when the focus came on them. What's wrong with you? You're, Roman, you're, you're in Rome. You're in the Roman Empire. This is the way you live. But the church did not fully even live like the culture. So the culture did what it could to neutralize the work and message of the church. Culture is doing the same thing today. We have a choice when we came into the depression. And then not just on an individual level, as a church, will we cave into the pressure of accepting what the culture says to accept and rejecting what the culture says to reject, or will our standard come from Scripture? As a denomination, what are we going to do? The Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting is in two weeks, and there's a lot of hard choices that are going to be made. What are we going to do as a denomination? Will we honor God? Or will we cave into the world? And here's the thing. And if you read church history, there were people who caved to the pressure and gave in to the culture's demands. But some stayed strong, some stayed faithful. They rejected their old lifestyle. They withstood the persecution. For the glory of God. And now here we are in the 21st century. 21st century. The world cannot understand why we don't believe like it does. Why we don't live like it does. And as the culture celebrates certain lifestyles this month. We lovingly point out the error of their ways. But you know what? They call us names. And they threaten us. Will we cave in to the pressure? You know, there are some, there's a lot of people who name the name of Christ out there who say that, and you know, they couch it in all the right terms. If we are going to be loving like Christ was, we would accept sinful lifestyles. And if you don't accept sinful lifestyles, you're not loving because Christ was all love. You kind of miss that next part, which will be in my next section, that Christ is going to judge the living and the dead, but, you know, that's here there. And there are those who name the name of Christ, who are caving in now, they are to be marked in the void. And I'm not talking about corporations. Yeah, okay, boycott whatever corporation you want. I'm talking about people who claim Christ. I'll just put it out there. So it popped up in one of my social media things that um, the Christian artist known as Plum. And her social media celebrated that lifestyle. Boy, some of you are going to start throwing stuff at me when I tell you this one. I'm just a messenger. Several cast and crew of The Chosen embrace and celebrate that lifestyle. Of course, there's also issues about The Chosen that they also say Mormons are Christians. That's a whole other issue, too. 
And Peter says, no, it's no longer to live. It's no longer time to live like that. If you're made new in Christ, you don't. In yourself or in the world, you don't just accept sin of any sort. So you have a choice. You can embrace the sin and vice of the world. You can embrace the sin and vice of your past. Or you can live a new life and make the pagans go crazy because they can't understand how you can. You know, as much as, yeah, I, I think about this, as much as we think they're, they're nuts because of what they think and what they do, they think the same thing about us. The difference is our minds have been opened and enlightened and theirs have been blinded by the enemy. But what are you going to do? What are we going to do as a church? Yes, we might be rejected by mankind, but we remember that we are beloved of God. Amen. So remember that. And one other very quick choice. Choose the path of rejoicing over your eternal life. And, you know, the path of eternal life. I want you to look at your Bibles and look at verses 5 and 6 again. They, them pagans who can't figure out what, why in the world you're living like you're living, they will face a reckoning before Jesus Christ who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And it was for this very purpose that the gospel was preached to those who are not dead, so that though they were judged in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually by God's standards. And so Peter talks about the eternal positions that, that are based on your choices, based on your previous choices. There are those who do not want to follow God's will for their lives. There are those who don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. There are those who want to stay within the pigsty of sin all of their days. And Peter gives them a very sober warning here. They will face a reckoning before Jesus Christ who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter isn't sugarcoating the truth here because he wants that truth to awaken them. To awaken people to their need for Christ. If you do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ, which is the will of God, then you will face the day of His reckoning. There will come a day when those who vilify Christ and His church will themselves be vilified. They will stand before Christ as judge, the Christ that they rejected, the Christ that they mocked. They will stand before Him. And just like everybody else, their needs will bow. But your needs can bow down to Jesus Christ. Jesus will judge. I mean, the Bible tells us he doesn't judge. There's no partiality in his judgment. He judges according to his right holy standard. And you're going to, to receive the recompense of your choices. And you can heed the warning now and believe in Jesus Christ, or you can make the choice of not heeding. And it leads to that judgment. I was reading this story about that there was this circus going on in some arena, and there was a fire had broken out uh, backstage in the arena. And so the owner of the circus wanted, you know, someone to tell the crowd, get out, you know, there's a fire. And the closest person to him was a clown. So he took the clown and said, go out there and tell the people, get out, there's a fire. And so the clown went out and made the announcement. But because it was a clown, the audience thought it was a joke. And they just laughed and they applauded. They thought it was part of the act. And so the clown repeated the warning. And they shouted and clapped 
even louder, and they laughed up to the point when flames consumed them. And that's how the world sees our warnings. We're not clouds, but I'll tell you what, the world is laughing at us, but they will not laugh forever. They may think it's a joke. It is not a joke. I mean, I know I, 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 I tell some terrible jokes. Me and my dad jokes are, are awful, and that's what makes them funny. But this isn't even a bad dad joke. This is no joke at all. There was a day of reckoning. But then there are those who keep the warning and believe. In, in verse 6, he talks about the gospel being preached to those who are now dead. It's talking about Christians who are physically dead at that time. And, and it says that they were judged in the flesh by human standards. In one way, that means, I mean, they face the consequence of sin that everyone faces, which is physical death. I mean, we cannot escape that reality. We will physically die. But it's also talking about the fact that these unbelievers judged these believers, you know, thinking that the gospel wasn't true because these believers died just like everybody else. So they mocked Christianity because, well, they seemingly faced the same fate. Unbelievers die, believers die. What's the difference? Well, the difference is not earthly. Because Peter says that the believers live spiritually by God's standards. Believers are alive spiritually and will not face the judgment that unbelievers will face. Because their judgment already fell on Jesus Christ. Their sin had already been taken care of. I read this story about some pioneers who were making their way across, you know, the plain states, going west, trying to find a place to homestead, and they were traveling in these, you know, covered wagons with oxes pulling the wagons, and so it was a very slow-going group. Well, one day, they were going along, and they noticed there was smoke stretching for miles all across the prairie, and it was, I mean, apparent that there was a fire, and it was coming their way. Well, just the day before, they had crossed a river, and it would be almost impossible for them to go back as slow as they were, get across the river, and get, get away from that fire. So the leader seemed to know what to do. What he said is, we'll wait here, go set fire to the grass that's behind us. And they did that. And then when, you know, a big enough space had burned over, that whole group, the whole company, they moved into that place where the grass had already been burned. And then as the flames roared toward them, from the west, one of the girls cried out in terror, we're going to all be burned up, but the leader said no. The flames cannot reach us here because we're standing where the fire has already been. And here's the thing, believers will not face the fire of judgment because Christ already took the fire of judgment for them. When you are in Christ, you are standing where the fire has already burned. Amen. And you have eternal life. Amen. But it's your choice. It is your choice. And so you have a choice of coming to Christ, being saved from that judgment, enjoying the blessings of eternal life, and in having the blessings of eternal life even now. You know, we think of eternal life, okay, that's after I die. Eternal life is now. <clears throat> because with eternal life comes the joy and the peace and the security that we sang about today. Security knowing that 
when I do mess up, and if y'all are like me, you mess up, Christ isn't going to reject you saying, well, what kind of loser are you? Get out of here. Christ doesn't know. We are this. We are this forever. We are on a firm foundation. Are you on that firm foundation? If not, today is the day to come and be on that firm foundation. But if you are in Christ and you know you are in Christ, what choices are you making about your lifestyle? Are you living in holiness of Christ or are you living in the world? Are you going to compromise like so many? Or will you say, you know what, I'm going to stand on the solid ground of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand on the solid ground of His Word. And you know what, whatever the consequences are, so be it. And you go to Christ for strength. The world may vilify you. The world may hate you. The world may call you names. The world might kill you. But if you're in Christ, you're secure. There is absolutely nothing the world can do to you that will change who you are in Jesus Christ. But it's still hard. So come and pray for that strength and choose to live for Him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.